you'd like to go ahead and open up your Bibles to Luke 24 again? Robin read a couple verses for us, and um, those verses are going to serve as the basis for this lesson. Um, And I think we all probably have accounts in the Bible or scenes in the Bible that we think about and think, man, if I could go be part of one scene or one story, that would be it. I mean, there are just some things we, we wish we were there when, when this thing happened. Um, the road to Emmaus is one of those for me. I am just fascinated by what these two disciples got to experience um, walking with the resurrected Jesus. And because of that, I'm, I'm going to expand on the reading, and I'm going to read the account uh, on the road to Emmaus, and then we'll talk about some lessons that we can start to draw from this. Um, in Luke 24, beginning in verse 13, um, And behold, two of them, these are the two disciples, Two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things which had taken place. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. And he said to them, What are these words that you're exchanging with one another as you're walking? And they stood still, looking sad. One of them, named Cleopas, answered and said to him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, The things about Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word in the sight of God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it is the third day since these things happened. But also some women among us amazed us. When they were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body, they came, saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just exactly as the women also had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. To have God explain to you all the prophecies that he inspired about himself in the prophets. That would be just incredible. I mean, there's a reason I only preached through Daniel chapter (laughs) 6. I don't understand Daniel chapter 7. And much of 8, 9, 10, I mean, it it, it wouldn't just be having the knowledge, you know, it, it would be having him explain his thoughts behind it know, how he felt about it. I mean, we don't typically think of, you know, God as emotional. We think of him as factual. This is fact. This is true. This is true. This is true. Well, I mean, you, you go back and read some of the prophets, and you'll see emotion. Um, yeah, Jeremiah was weeping because he was sad, but why was he sad? 
He was sad because he was imparting a very sad message. Um, but what we see here, and I, he doesn't just say, Moses talked about me. It's his beginning with Moses and all the prophets. That's where he started. Moses and all the prophets. He revealed to them or explained to them what all the scriptures said about him. And that's the point I wanted to make starting here and moving forward in this lesson is that Jesus was the focus of all of Moses, the prophets, and the scriptures. Now, it's not that every single word written down was about him because there were bad things written down. You know, Israel was going to do these bad things. Judah was going to do these bad things. Edom is going to be punished. You know, Tyre and Sidon. There were lots of prophecies and things that were about other people, and there were other accounts of other people. You know what I mean? There's Nebuchadnezzar. I mean, there are lots of characters and things in, in the Old Testament that are recorded for us that aren't specifically. Nebuchadnezzar didn't stand up and point to Jesus, but chapter 4. He did. He said, I want to tell you about what God has done for me, whose kingdom never shall fail. So really, even people who interacted with God's people and came in, into play in the stories, they help us, even if they're contrasts against Jesus, help us understand God and His character and Jesus, who was coming. Um... But, you know, he's not just the focus of the scriptures. He's actually also the focus of creation. Uh, look in Colossians chapter 1. Colossians 1, beginning in verse 15, speaking of Jesus. <clears throat> he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He's the focus of the scriptures. He, he was what was coming, what everyone was looking forward to. But according to Paul writing here in Colossians, he's also the focus of creation because all things were created through him and for him. The things that are around us, right? I mean, we could say, in a sense, they're for us. I mean, I don't think that that would be untrue. But how are they for us? They're for us to use according to His will. Um, I like the, the phrase at the end of verse 17. It says, In Him all things hold together. And this is kind of where my lack of understanding in physics makes me appreciate it that more. Right? Like biology. Um, we don't understand why a lot of these forces work. You know, they, they've been trying for years and years, decades to come up with this single one law. You know, why does, you know, why do electric charges and magnetic forces and gravity, why do they all look alike? 
these intermolecular forces and even forces between quarks. Why do they look? They look alike. Some attract, some repel, right? Well, I think, when I, when I read Colossians 1.17, that's kind of the image I get, is they hold together because God wants them to hold together. Now, we might understand more and more and more about the physical properties that are there, but those physical properties are there because God says, I want that physical property right there, and I want it to have this much force, and I want it to act this way, and it continues to act that way. Um, even after the flood, you know, God said, seasons are going to continue year after year. This is how I'm ordaining it. I'm making it this way. Creation tells us about him. And it's the, it's, Jesus is the focal point of creation. I think Colossians is teaching us that. But I think most importantly, above these two things, he's, and this is sort of similar to him being the focus of Scripture, but not quite the same thing. He's the focus of God's work. And I say it's different than being the focus of Scripture because you can have many, many books that are written about somebody, right? and they're not the focus of the author. It's just written about them. The author's life is about something completely else, completely different. Well, not only was he the focus of the scriptures, the scriptures were given to us to help us focus on him. But Jesus is the focus of God's work. Everything God did in his activities focused on Jesus. And I, I want to look at Ephesians chapter 1 to see that. Ephesians 1, beginning in verse 3. I'm going to read quite a few verses here in chapter 1. I fought the temptation just to read the whole thing, but um, trying to save a little bit of time. Beginning in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the kind intention of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, which He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight, He made known to us the mystery of His will, according to His kind intention, which He purposed in Him, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. The purpose of God's work was to sum up His creation, heavenly and earthly, in Christ. To bring everything to one. And continuing on, in, or dropping down a little bit in Ephesians 1, going down to verse 18, Paul now speaks to the Christians there. And he says in verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, so that you will know what is the hope of His calling. What are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints? And what is the surpassing greatness of His power toward us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of the strength of His might, which He brought about in Christ 
when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet, and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. When we read the scriptures, what we learn from Jesus himself is that we should learn about him, something. Whether it's a direct statement about him, whether it's a prophecy about him, whether it's a contrast, someone contrasted to him, to show us what Jesus is not. When we look at creation, we should think about him, him being the focal point of creation. All things were created by him, all things were created through him, all things were created for him. When we are interacting with his creation, we need to think about that and how we use it, right? And then he's the focal point of God's work. What God wanted to accomplish in the creation from the beginning with created heavenly beings and created earthly beings, he accomplished through Jesus. He was the focal point. So when we think about God and what he wants, what he desires, he makes it very easy for us to understand his desires. And he says, look at Jesus. If you want to know what I want, look at Jesus. If you want to know something about creation, look at Jesus. If you want to understand the scriptures, look at Jesus. He's the focal point of everything. So, having that knowledge, what are we supposed to do with it? I mean, it's got to change me somehow, or it hasn't, I haven't responded to it correctly. I think there are some very, very tangible benefits to having this understanding and growing in this understanding. Um, first, I think we will have a better understanding of who we are with respect to God when we understand that everything God created, everything He wrote down, everything He accomplished was to bring us to Himself through Jesus. It is humbling to try to get your mind around how hard God worked and how much patience He had and what He put up with to bring Jesus here and execute His wrath on Him so that He could reach out His hand to us. Not because He was weak or because His arm wasn't long enough, but because we had separated ourselves. And again, not, not so far that he couldn't reach, but we had set ourselves up as his enemy. When we sin, we, we put ourselves in, in the position of receiving wrath. That's, we had just done that. It wasn't that God couldn't reach us, he couldn't get to us, oh, how am I going to save them? It was, well, you've set yourself up as my enemy, and that's not going to work out well for you. Um, when we start to think about you know, God writing things down and being patient with the Israelites and being patient, you know, the, the period of the judges and, and the rebellion and the captivities and bringing, re, restoring them. 
And the, the, the entire reason for it was so that we might have an opportunity to be saved. I think when we understand that Jesus was the focal point of all those things, it helps us understand our position before God better. It humbles us. It makes us quiet down. Stop asserting ourselves. And start saying, wow, okay, what can I do for you? Rather than, give me more. You know, I want to do this. Get out of my way. He's done everything to bring us to Him through Jesus. Um, I think it also gives us a better understanding of the world and the people around us. When we understand that everything God has done was to bring us to Him. You know, I don't have my job so that I can just live high on the hog. You know, that's a, that would be a major, I know that's not a shock to the people in this room, that would be a major shock to many of the people I work with, the people I, I know outside this room. They would say, well then, why are you working at all? What's the point? Well, do you know what the answer to that question is? You're probably going to get tired of hearing this, but the answer is Jesus. The only way to answer any of the questions I have, the way God would have them answered, is in Jesus. Well, if I want to know why I work, I look to Jesus. Why do I work? Look in the New Testament and I can see I need to provide for myself and I need to provide for those people around me who cannot provide for themselves. That's why I work. That's an easy answer. I mean, that's a simple question, but I think it helps us understand our place and our function here with respect to the people around us and the world in which we live. Our goal isn't to change every government we come in contact with. It's just not. I mean, it's a temptation in this country because in a very specific sense, we have the ability to interact with our government and make changes. But that's historically incredibly unusual. Really, really unusual. I mean, you didn't see anything like that in the New Testament or the Old Testament. I mean, you don't see democracies in the Bible. You see kingdoms. You see, you know, rulers, tyrants, whatever you want to call them. So, when I want to look out into the world and understand how am I supposed to respond to this government? How am I supposed to respond to this bus driver? How am I supposed to respond to this boss? How am I supposed to respond? Well, the answer is in Jesus. The only way to answer those questions is to look to Him. Because this creation is here because of Him. This creation is here for Him. And many of the people that we interact with, or the governments that we're under, they're not going to respect Him. But that's not our duty to change. Our duty is to serve Him and interact with those entities and those people the way God wants us to. You know, Romans Romans 1, chapter 1, verses 18 through 20, Paul is talking about the creation and the fact that it gives, it takes away, really, any excuse anyone would have for saying that, that 
you know, they don't believe in God. Or there is no God. It says, they, the Gentiles, are without excuse. For his invisible attributes, I love how I said it, his invisible attributes have been clearly seen. <laughs> right? The attributes are invisible, but they're clearly seen. In the world. If I want to have a conversation with someone about God, and our conversation is currently centering on creation, I'm without excuse to show them God and creation. It's right there. He presents himself. Um... I guess the, the most clear way to say this is what, what I need to have a better understanding of is what God has done for me, He has done for you. And He's done for every single person that I come in contact with. He hasn't done anything more special for me. Every benefit I'm enjoying from my relationship with God, everything I'm doing because He's sacrificed for me when I was in rebellion... He has done for those people. Everyone. So when I interact with people and with the creation around me, I can say, well, I might not know the specific answer to your question, but the answer is in Jesus. Because he died for you, or depending on the context of the conversation, he created this. It's, it's about him. And he created it for himself. So we can study this together. We can try to look and find out what the answer is. But I can tell you where the answer is going to be found. Um, and we, I mentioned this earlier today. The image of God is imprinted on every single person. And if I would see people that way, it would help me in my interaction with them to be more humble to be more gentle to be respectful and kind and value them as someone who's bearing the image of God and have a love for them to say wow God wants a relationship with this person because he's given them his image what can I do to help bridge that gap between the two is there information I can provide? Well, that, again, it's in Jesus. Whatever I can say to that person, it's about Jesus. Somehow. And this kind of leads into my third point. So we'll have a better understanding of ourselves and how we relate to God and how we stand before God. We'll have a better understanding of the creation and the people around us and how we interact with them and think about them and talk to them. But we're, we're also going to do a better job of speaking to them about Jesus. Not just how we think about them or how we view them, but how we talk to them. And it's not going to be because we have to try. If our thoughts are so consumed all the time about, wow, Jesus created that, wow, Jesus did this, Wow, Jesus is like that. Jesus is not like that. 
we're really not going to have a choice in how we talk. It's just going to come out. You know, someone says, well, do you think this is wrong? Well, what does Jesus say? Or why don't you do this? Well, you know, I haven't seen where Jesus told me to. Um, I mean, they're really simple answers. You, you don't have to. You don't have to memorize all four gospels in order to tell someone about Jesus. You just have to say, "Well, my understanding right now is G- Jesus doesn't want me doing that. And if you can show me different, I'll change." Um, if our minds are thinking about people, creation, scripture, in the context of Jesus all the time. Our speech is going to follow, um, and isn't that really what God wants? Is people who don't know Jesus to know Jesus? Because Jesus is the focus of everything He's done. I mean, He's done so much. I mean, you, you really can't escape Him. Jesus is like this bright, shining beacon that, I mean, he describes it in John chapter 3. The light came into the world, and there were some who saw it and ran to it, and there were some who said, no, I don't want my deeds exposed. But a lot of people see that light, and they get confused. Well, my deeds are being exposed. I don't like this, but I, I should be drawn to the light. Well, there's where we have an opportunity to say, yeah, that's where you should be going. And those deeds that have been exposed... He doesn't like them. Just stop it. I mean, it's that easy. The following conversation may not be that easy. But at least the seed's been spread. Jesus is the answer to whatever questions we have, whatever questions we encounter. Um, you know, just that I've been thinking about this kind of context a lot since, since we set our theme you know, about learning about Jesus and teaching how Jesus would teach and looking back at types of Jesus in the Old Testament. This particular verse in, in Luke 24 where he says, you know, he explained everything to him about himself in the scriptures. Why, why don't I think about Jesus more that way? And I had an opportunity just this week that I just totally missed. I was talking to someone about investing, right? Uh, Retirement funds and 401ks and stuff. And they kept asking me over and over and over, what's your risk tolerance? You know, what, what, you know, how do you feel about about short-term losses and all that stuff? And I said, well, I don't care about short-term losses. I can't touch any of this stuff for 25 years. What are you talking about? Nothing's short-term loss. I mean, I'm, you know, I, I want my retirement goals or whatever to be a goal for 20 or 30 years down the road. But they kept, they said, well, what, what is your tolerance? You know, how, how do you handle that? And, you know, I, I just told them, I said, you know, I'm, I'm just not focused on the now because that stuff is so far off. And it kept bugging me. You know, at the end of the, after the conversation ended, I was just, I kept thinking, you know, why, why am I struggling with this? Why could, why was this conversation so hard? And it, it occurred to me that I had an opportunity to just tell them, well, because my confidence isn't in money, it's in Jesus. And that's the absolute truth. That's how I felt. But because I, I didn't dwell on it enough beforehand, it never came out. 
and I had to toil. I had to toil with it, right? Stro turn it over in my head. I mean, this was for hours afterward. I was kind of playing with it in my head. It worked. And I was thinking, why did that bother me? It's because I didn't state the truth that I knew because I hadn't been thinking about it. We need to think about Jesus more. And I, I'm, I'm, again, I'm charging you with my guilt, so I don't know if maybe you think about him correctly. But I need to think about Jesus more. Because when I have conversations like that with people, it would have a real impact to them to know that I don't have confidence in my job, and I don't have confidence in my house, and I don't have confidence in my car or my retirement. I, just, I really, honestly, I just don't. And if I could tell that, I think they would see that. You know, people, can, people can see a lie a mile away. They can see the truth, too. And when you tell them the truth, it will have an impact. They'll wonder, why in the world would you put your faith in somebody who's not here? You can't see him. Right? And then you have an opportunity to say, well, it's because he's not here and we don't see him. He rose. He's not dead anymore. That's why. So I think if we, if we start thinking about the scripture, thinking about the creation, and thinking about all of God's working, focusing on Jesus, it will help, I know it will help me in those opportunities to say something to someone, to think about them, in the way God thinks about them as someone who needs salvation and someone who bears the image of God. And I think in the end, I'll be more pleasing to him and he'll be more glorified in my life than he has been in the past if I can do those things. So, thank you for your time and patience.